Hey everyone, this is Tony, Dungeon Master of D&D Raw. And before we begin, I just wanted to say, if you enjoy D&D Raw, we would love it if you would support us on Patreon to hear new exclusive content and updates before anyone else. By contributing as little as $1 per month, patrons enable us to dedicate more time to creating episodes. Our higher level patrons get access to DMs notes, outtakes from our episodes, the chance to add an item or NPC to a D&D Raw episode, and even to join our monthly patron game. We wanted to thank all of our Adventure Tier and Above patrons for their support this month. So thank you Jeremy Kleinhans, a Linux fan, and Dark Queasy, and a very special thanks to our producer tier patron, Gnome, for serving as a producer on this episode. To find out more about how you can join this list of outstanding people, go to patreon.com slash dndraw. If you're not able to support DND Raw on Patreon, we would love it if you leave us a review on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. Since we started this show, we realized that we've changed from our original fun with using the rules to break the game. And the more we chat about D&D 5th edition rules with all of our guests, we've realized that we love using the rules to make our games actually better. Now, instead of seeing loopholes for exploits, we see opportunities for creative solutions to challenges. And when some people hear rules as written, it does conjure images of rules lawyers and a denial to the rule of cool. Our hope is that by sharing how to apply, adapt, and improve the rules, you can make your games more fun for players and for DMs alike. So, thanks for joining us. This is Tony. Hey everybody, this is Rachel. Hi, this is Bethany. Hi, I'm Faye. This week we're going to be talking about theater of the mind. Faye, why don't you tell us a little bit about what you do or what you create and just about yourself in the D&D aspect. I am a longtime DM. Uh, you know how it is when you get stuck DMing. It, it winds up being all you ever get to do. You're a forever DM. Yes, a forever DM. I also do a lot of homebrew content. I create things with yarn, but I'm fairly certain that's not really what we're here to discuss. <laughs> Are they okay. D&D things? Sometimes. Uh -huh. Then it relates. <laughs> uh, I have made little monsters <laughs> before and uh, a goblin and uh, actually I'm about to make a dragon. Nice. Yeah. We'll have to share, share a picture of that. Oh, I, I yeah, will totally definitely. share a picture. And then is there somewhere somebody could find, like, pictures of these? Do you have, like... I actually do have the link to my art page uh, attached to my Twitter, so... Awesome. So uh, what is your Twitter handle? At Torahire, which is T-A-U-R-A-E-I-R-E. -E. Okay. And, and we'll put a link in the description of the episode yep. as well. I have a Facebook with my projects that I make, uh, and it goes beyond yarn. I've made a DM screen. I've made dice pouches. I've painted minis. Wow, so you do it all. <laughs> I make a lot of things. I She's crafty. I, I am. I, I make all the arts. All the arts. Faye, why did you suggest this topic? Because this was your proposed idea. It wasn't so much that I suggested the topic, it was more that Rachel saw me talking about it elsewhere, and mm -hmm. then all of a sudden was like, this is interesting, you should do this for our podcast. And I was like, wait, <laughs> what? <laughs> Come be nerds with us. And I was like, nerds? Yeah. Nerd out, nerd out. <laughs> By the way, do you have dice? <laughs> <laughs> so 
So you, you unknowingly pitched an idea for our podcast. I was conscripted. <laughs> Rooted, yes. I was voluntold. <laughs> and I was just along for the ride. Like, sure, why not? Sure, why not? <laughs> so what would you say are different ways that you use to like describe or visualize combat? So 90% of the time, it is 100% words. And in the event where people are just so confused, whether it's I'm having a bad day or other people are having a bad day or both, I kind of see it as my failure because I was unable to word enough and thus <laughs> required, you know, graph paper or, you know, printer paper or whatever I can grab. And I scribble something and then I take a picture of it with my slowest sin phone because it's old, like me. And I put upload it onto Discord. <laughs> So I think it's interesting. Uh, I love theater of the mind, partly because I'm an auditory learner. That's how I absorb information. It makes sense to me. I tried doing this as a DM. I was like, oh, I can describe combat. I can words good. I went to school. <laughs> I can describe things in a way that makes sense. It unraveled so fast. Part of that is because I tried to do it very early in DMing. So I don't think I had a firm handle on what the players needed. But I think it's interesting to see different like balances between sounds like you're doing almost entirely, you know, verbal description, which is awesome. Mm -hmm. And those people who do almost entirely visuals where it's maps and minis and very little actual words mm -hmm. are used to describe it beyond you go up, you do the thing. Bethany and I were talking about this a little bit the other day. Is, uh, I was saying how it also depends, I think, on the mechanics. Like D&D, &D, a lot of the rules and everything, they refer to ranges. And it's very hard when you just you know verbally describe the room and people are moving around to keep track without any kind of visual reference, at least for me, because I'm a very like tactile learner. I, I need the visuals. Otherwise, I'm every turn, I'm going to be asking, is such and such within 30 feet for this spell? Or is such and such within flanking? Or, you know, if I try to move towards X location, am I going to take a tax of opportunity? Like things like that. So I think it depends on the mechanics as much as the story and the way you kind of started the story. Honestly, it is 100% communication based. It doesn't matter what the rules are, what the mechanics are. It is 100% your ability to communicate. If you work on your descriptions and you can picture it in your mind and then describe it to your players. And yes, at the end of each round, you need to make sure it's clear, okay, you moved over here to this quadrant, you moved over there to this quadrant. And as long as everyone's on board, and then, and it also involves a lot of trust, because not only are you trusting your players, but they, your, your players have to trust you. Yeah. And, you know, not only are you going to be fair, but you're not going to change things around. So, you know, at the end of combat, you can be like, okay, you know, wizard number one, you moved over, you know, to the left, 30 feet down, you your full movement, so that you could grab the gem off the pedestal that's in that corner. And there's some pillars that are now blocking your view to the main room, because it's kind of like tucked away. And, you know, okay, warrior, you moved from the center, five feet to the right, diagonally forward, and you're engaging against the Minotaur that's there. And uh, I describe the terrain as well. So like, so if I'm describing this room and, you know, I can say it's three foot stone slabs on the ground that makes up the floor material. And it's like granite columns 
going straight up to the ceiling. You can't see the ceiling. It's too high up. You hear like little whispers in the corners and you hear some kind of like a wind coming through the, the area above you. It's like a little bit distracting, but like you, you see these hulking figures coming at you. They've got horns on their heads and they look like fuzzy cow people and they're wearing armor that's metallic and chinkling. And depending on what their light uh, source is, depending on what their ability to see is, is how much description I'll give them. And then I make sure I describe what angle they're coming in. So I said like, okay, this guy's, you know, coming from like diagonal from the right at them. They were in the center of the room. And then I just keep every round checking in. Okay, you did move this way. This is where they are now. Make it clear. Next round. Okay, warrior, you're starting out, you know, five feet from the center. And like, if I described the the room, if they were able to see the walls on the side, I'd give them, okay, the, the room is this many feet wide. As long as they're able to see that far and whatnot. Mm-hmm. It depends on, on what races, what abilities are going on and all that and how much they can see. And I will keep it to the light source and whatnot. And like, okay, you can see this, but you cannot because you don't have any light source and whatnot. See, I think I, I'm a very different DM. I like very sparse descriptions because I'm not a visual person. So a lot of that I know for me as a player, I don't engage with as much. So I try to keep my descriptions, I guess, functional would be the right word, kind of limited to what the players can engage with just because that's something that clicks with me and I can do well. For me, I've adapted to this style for the obvious reason that I am low vision. Using roll 20 is not easy for me. If I tried using it, which I have, I typically get migraines from it. It doesn't play nicely with the programs that I need to help me see it. So with this, I've learned to kind of like in books, like the best books that you read, you are getting cues, not just visual cues, but you know, what you hear, what you feel, what you, you know, can smell in the air even. And I try and engage as many senses as I can. Like if my players are on a trail, it's like, okay, you know, some trail dust is kicking up. You can taste the dirt in your mouth. The grass is long. You feel it whisking against your hips. Stuff like that. It draws them in more and they can start to picture it in their minds. The more they can picture it in their minds, the easier it is for them to see the battlefield in their minds. It's not going to be exactly what I'm picturing because everyone's going to interpret things differently, but it will be close enough where it works. I haven't had too many problems. And on the days where we've had problems with our face hall sounds, <laughs> then there's the patience and the the leeway. It's like, okay, I'm sorry that I didn't understand that you meant that you were moving, you know, five feet in this direction instead. So we'll just go ahead and, and take that back and say that's where you moved. I think that leads me to like two questions. One, do you find that it takes longer for combat because of the extra descriptions? And two, like, do you use distances like that? Or do you use more like almost like ranges? Like they're within melee range, they're within like medium range or long range. What my players have needed is very specific with how many feet. So I have used very specific within how many feet for that reason. They wanted to know, is it within this many feet, that many feet? And so I've just said, okay, it's this many feet. And I keep it that way. Yeah, I'm sure that that lends itself to running the rules. And that'll kind of tie into what we're going to do later. Because yeah, it definitely helps, uh, especially when you have like spellcasters and things who have all these specific limitations on what they're doing. 
Yeah. And as for slowing things down, battle in and of itself is already at times slow. What I do to try to mitigate how slow battle can be is get your action prepared ahead Mm -hmm. of time and roll your d20 ahead of time. Roll your damage if you hit ahead of time. This way, it's a little bit less time taken, but it's not like I'm describing the room every single turn because I've already described the room in the beginning. What's getting described is basically if there's any change in the environment. Or typically what I also do is if someone's doing like spell effects or certain cool melee effects, I will describe that in detail. So for instance, Ice Knife. I have described it as, okay, you are pulling your hands close you know, with some resistance. And as you get closer and closer, the air is getting frosty. The moisture is condensing. It turns into a spear of ice in between your hands and shoots out at, you know, your adversary, whoever that is, and splashes against them and it shatters and hits the neighboring whatever is next to them. And I'm not describing that every single time they kind of got the hint after the first, like, once or twice. Yeah, that makes sense not to repeat yourself. (laughs) Yeah. So I think I'm learning I'm your exact opposite, Faye, basically. Yeah. <laughs> uh, not by my choice, or rather not how I set out to be because I wanted to do theater mind because I'm like, yeah, I'll just describe things. I, I like talking. Uh, it's going to be great. And I quickly learned that it wasn't fun for the players based on what they were looking for. And some of that's coming from different backgrounds. I know, like we mentioned for Chris, who likes his crunch, the, yeah. the mini game with the miniatures mm-hmm. is very rewarding for him. Mm-hmm. It's... Not so much for me, but I yeah I've adapted and to like that. I don't find it necessarily rewarding yeah but I can go a heck of a lot quicker if I can look at how things are configured on the field and see them and be able to go okay I can do this this or this based on people's movements in the next few rounds and then you know I can plan four or five rounds out but when I'm doing trying to do theater of the mind I can't even plan my own turn in advance I'm like where is everybody. <laughs> How do I not kill my teammates and kill the bad guys? That's all I need to know. And I realized we actually didn't didn't really define theater of the mind. But really what we're saying by that is there's no map. There's no minis, at least not in the traditional battle map since you're using vocal descriptions or something along those lines to describe combat. It does sound like also it's a learning curve for that you were saying, Faith. It's sort of a, an a- adapting process for your for your players. Yeah. And. And everyone gets used to it. I only remember with one group a little bit of frustration, but that particular person was a much more visual person. And so once that person got used to how it worked, they did a lot better. I think my group is all visual. I'm now like running through the the list. I think everybody's visual except me. Is that right, Tony? Uh, Rachel's your kinesthetic, right? <laughs> yeah. I, that's why I'm yeah. always touching the tiles on the map and counting them. And <laughs> yeah, Rachel touches everything, Faye. If it could be moved, Rachel's like, let me let me pick it up. Okay, good. Put it back. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Another reason why I have things this way where I'm doing it over Discord is my group is spread between four countries. Yes. I also should clarify, Rachel does do that in Roll20 as well. <laughs> <laughs> It's true. I first time I did roll twenty, I come back and Rachel moved everything around and like wrote pie on my on the map yep. and like, drew like, on it, and I'm like measuring with the little ruler. So watch out, Faye. If you have a game with Rachel, she will she will get in there. <laughs> Sorry, I just need to touch it and move it. I know, I know. I expect it now. 
But yeah, I know it is different also being at a table versus, you know, work with a group online. But yeah, there's there's always an adjustment period. Although I, I ran a series of one shots for the holidays. These were with some people who had never experienced my style of playing and had never played online, much less, you know, without some kind of visual. And they actually did really well. I did have to do a map at least once that I can recall. It actually went way more smoothly than I was fearing. So that was good. I mean, now we're talking about doing a new group and potentially even doing Vampire over Discord too now. So oh my, be interesting. <laughs> yeah, I think it's definitely different for different groups. And I like your, your point of view that, it, you know, also it's sort of an accessibility thing when you're low vision to have that as a way to still engage with the game and the world and the players. So that's definitely something to consider. And that's partly why we wanted you to, you know, do this episode with us. Yeah, it would actually be amazing if more people would be open-minded to Discord only, because there are other people who are low vision or completely blind, where this would still enable people to get to play. Yeah, absolutely. And and, I mean, it makes Mm -hmm. sense to me. I When something is described to me, I'm like, I'm listening, I'm taking notes if I need to, and then I am ready to do my thing. But yeah, that just, it's just how my brain is inclined. So I realize I have to take that into consideration. Yeah, because I don't know, I don't know, Bethany, if you've ever noticed when you're describing things, I'm usually drawing it. Yes, I know, I know, I see because you over I have there. to map it in my head; otherwise, I cannot see well, it. And then Rachel goes and holds up things and says, "Is this right?" and points at it for me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and she's usually like. Yeah, it's close. <laughs> I'll be like, if it's like a B plus, I'm like, yeah, yeah, it's good enough. Which has like some things you're like, wait, this looks closer than that. I'm like, okay, I'm sorry. I, I Maybe I wasn't 100% on that. <laughs> but yeah, I know it's people process information differently. And, and I think that's the challenge of any sort of tabletop roleplay game is getting buy-in from everyone on what's the best way to go about it for your group or for the type of game you're running. I know something I've talked about with Tony is a lot of our games involve a lot of role-playing. So the combat is sort of a secondary piece of that. And really, most of what we're doing is just talking anyways. (laughs) Yeah. But I mean, you know, with the challenges and the way different people perceive things and... It all comes down to patience, not just from uh, a DM perspective, but from a player perspective. Everyone has to agree that even in the best of circumstances, there can be misinterpretations. And if there is, then just know that, hey, I'm not going to be a hard butt about it. I'm going to be fair and we're going to fix this. Yeah, you're not like me at all, Faye. (laughs) (laughs) What's done is done. The die is cast. We can't go back. No, but I understand. Being fair and balanced and knowing that your 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 players don't think that you're going to try to undercut them or be like, haha, you fell for my trap and misunderstood me. Like, no one wants that. <laughs> and DM. that's yeah. all people really want in general in a game is to know that you're going to be fair and that they're going to have fun and that they're going to have a part and a say in the narrative, that they're going to be able to help bring this story to life. We all have buy-in to the same story, right? We're all trying to achieve the same thing together. We're just doing it differently. Like We all want to have a good story that we're engaged with, we care about, we're passionate about what's happening, and we're having fun from both sides. That's absolutely fair. But I don't know, I've seen some people, and it's more about ego. Oh, well, yeah, on the flip side, yeah, I don't think the DMs who are like, I have created a story and a world, please show up and be NPCs in my story. I'm like, no, the players should still be, they're (laughs) still the player characters. They are not NPCs. Yeah. Yeah. I have actually known some people who, when they start to, they base their world and their setting on a story that they've written. Yeah, that's brutal. 
and then the players come in as basically extra characters to the story because they already wrote a story with a protagonist in mind. With heroes, yeah. The, the heroes are already defined. But I think that that's true, too. Yeah, you can't be a, a dictator who's like, you know, come forth and dance for me, puppets, uh, you know. Yeah. yeah. Well, the concern then is like, well, no, no, no they they're still like want to give the players the freedom to do what they want. But now they're not following my original, you know, the protagonist of my original story. So what do I do with that? That's more what I'm discussing is like the railroading because yeah. it's like, no, this is how the story must continue. It's like, no, the, the players are ultimately deciding the direction. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Sometimes they make good choices. All that stuff can still be <laughs> happening in the background. Yeah, I literally just had this happen. But basically, in my last session, I had arranged what I thought would be a cute event where there'd be a, a meet cute between two NPCs, the characters or players, sorry, primarily Rachel have been shipping for like three years and they've never met. So I was like, oh, she's like this one NPC will show up and then they'll meet and it's gonna be awkward and funny. No, they stabbed one of them. So oh, <laughs> and I'm like, cool, 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 cool. <laughs> no, and they had their reasons. And I'm like, okay, it's just a different, a different story than I than I thought. So we're gonna uh, find out what happens next session because I have to do some changes to what I prepped. And uh, that's okay. Um, it'll be interesting. I don't know if it will be combat. It may or may not. They don't know, and I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) So yeah, there's definitely that side too. I I agree, Faye, of not just being like unfair to your players and and not giving them a voice. Like I think the DM and the player should both have voices in the story. So I guess that guidance, because I know this is something that a lot of DMs have a different style on. How much guidance do you provide to your players? Like how much do you lend them a hand in combat? I'm sure it's a little different when you go entirely descriptive with words as opposed to visuals or maybe it's not how do you help them out well what do you mean by guidance during combat if you give a clarification do you give them some direction as to what they could do or how do you go about that i've done that rarely only when they just seemed especially for a newbie to D&D because I do also teach people to play D&D. They're stumped. I'll be like, well, you know, you do have some of these spells and you do have these weapons. So like, this is what's in your range and this is what some options. Like I'll do a little bit of handholding, but for like a veteran player, I don't give them any suggestions. They know their character. They know what their character can do. I tell them nothing. Only okay, yes, you want to do that. Unfortunately, if you recall last turn, they moved just outside of that radius. Oh, yeah, okay. All right, so, you know, what else would you like to do? Well, then I guess I'll, you know, hold action for blah, blah, blah. And then we continue on or whatever they want to do. Yeah, so it's more just about giving them feedback if some if they're trying to attempt something. You're like, well, that won't be possible for these reasons. But otherwise, they're on their own for figuring out unless they're new. I know Rachel, since you run games for kids, I'm sure it's it would be very different trying to describe it all for them. Actually, I've done a mix, like a hybrid. I'll usually start the combat without the map and see how, like, gauge how it's going. I found that when they look at the spells, they completely ignore the first block, which is the range, <laughs> the verbal somatic material. Yeah. Basically, yeah, they ignore that and they go straight to the blob of text. And they're like, oh, this sounds fun. I'm going to do this. And usually it comes down to, yes, you can do that because I know generally about the range of stuff or I just guess because I'm like, sure, because it sounds cool. 
Or I say, you can do that, but you'll have to move closer or you'll be causing this or, you know, because there have been a few times where three out of four of them are dragonborn. So, of course, they all have all their the breath weapons and they always <laughs> want to do their breath weapons. Why wouldn't they? They're dragonborn. Sure. I'm like, however, you did say that you walked around to the backside to get flanking. And he's like, yeah. I'm like, which means you are now facing your buddy and you will hit them. And he's like, I will shift one space, <laughs> one step. I will shift a motion to the side. Can I do that? I'm like, yes, you can do that then. You know, because I don't have the map. But then there's other times where there's just too much going on. Like there was a river and there were two tents that they were like camping in. They could not visualize where the tents were in relation to the river in relation to them, that I did have to draw out real quick. But I do very minimal drawings for them. I did like a blue line and two squares mm -hmm. and then put some tokens down. So I've, I've been doing like a hybrid with them, trying to just gauge what works for them. Most of it, I don't even use maps for. It's mostly just me describing it and then them reacting. But they haven't done too much combat yet. Yeah, well, I guess for kids also, they probably should be a little more comfortable with like a higher level of abstraction than we are as adults, because a lot of us have had it driven out of our brains <laughs> over the course of our lifetimes. We have to get back to that imagination space that we need to be in. Well, and I think too, because I am running it a little bit more rules light. So like the spell distances, yes, it's 30 feet in the book, but I'll say yes, you're within range, you know, because in my head... And, you know, they picture that they're close enough. They're like, you know, I, can I do this? And I'm like, sure, you're in range, you know. And unless that they're trying to do something that's a touch spell, that they're obviously said that they were like, you know, 20 feet away. I'm like, no, you can't do that <laughs> touch spell. You have to actually touch them. Yeah, your arms are 20 feet long. Just Exactly. <laughs> and then I usually do like a noodly arm, like the blow up guy motion, and they all laugh and they understand what I'm saying. And they go, okay, I'll move up. <laughs> There's lots of flailing at the table. As it should be. And how else do you describe what is happening? Besides noodle arms? Yeah. <laughs> Words? No, no, just noodle arms. Well, oh, sorry. Oh, I'll, keep, I'll keep that in mind next time I DM for you, Rachel. I'll be like, why do you not understand what I'm saying as I flap my arms in your general direction? Yep. <laughs> <laughs> and that kind of rolls into like, what have you learned from your experiences um, on players' expectations for combat? Like, for me, it's I have to gauge each individual interaction that they have. Sometimes they need the maps clearly drawn out or the picture from the book. And then other times I can just describe what's around them and they are probably better picturing it than I even am describing it. Well, I mean, and that's ultimately the goal is to get them picturing it fully in their mind. But like I said before, like sometimes people have a bad day where they're groggy, tired, hungover. I mean, you know, the list goes on. Um, when they're struggling and that's where some graph paper or printer paper can come in handy. But ultimately, the players just expect the descriptions. They expect to have fun. They expect a fair chance and they just want to be heard. It's just a matter of, you know, gauging how everyone's feeling that day and, you know, how you yourself are feeling that day and just go from there. If, you know, there is that, that struggle then you take a little bit extra time, like, okay, let's back up a second and just, you know, describe everything. You know, let me re-describe everything for you. And that's where being patient really comes in handy because, like, ultimately, none of this is going to work without people having a good understanding. And you have to just, you know, be willing to take that extra moment and you're describing it, you know, and make sure that they understand very clearly where they are, where the adversaries are, where their, ob their goal is or whatever 
they have in mind of what they want to do, make sure they have a clear understanding of how they can achieve that goal. Yeah, I think it's kind of interesting in my game when I do just describe things like when it's not a full combat scenario, but you're doing something quick, you know, the party's busting down a door and trying to, I don't know, rough up one person or stop them from, you know, pouring something. Or lie about the fact that we just busted a door. Or lie about the fact that where you're like, well, we don't need initiative for this. It's just a thing that's happening. I think it's always interesting. Rachel is sort of like, no, no offense, Tony and the other players who are going to be listening. I'm sorry. Rachel is the best listener for the most part when it comes to like that sort of stuff, because I'll be like, oh, I'm sorry. I thought I clarified this. Rachel's like, you did. I took notes. I drew pictures here. See? (laughs) Because I have to draw it. I know. No, it's so good. I know. Rachel's a total teacher's about when it comes to that. And I'm like, thank you, Rachel. Because I was like, did I not explain well? I'm granted now I know I need further clarification on doors. I'm so tired of talking about doors. Like, I think I've been trying to have the party not go into dungeons just because they're like, tell us about this door. And I'm like, oh, no, it's just like the last 10 doors. Are there any traps? Do I see any traps? Do I taste any traps? Do I smell any traps? What do I have to (laughs) It's identical. Let's just say this dungeon, it was all prefab. It was all installed at the same time. It's the exact same door. And were any of those other doors trapped? No. Were any of them locked? No, they're literally just doors. And I'm like, note to self, only doorways next dungeon. (laughs) (laughs) That can be hard as a DM when you're sitting there and like you're describing something or maybe you use a wrong word and suddenly they latch onto it. And it's like, oh, wait, so there's something special about this. It's like, no, 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 it's just a doorknob. It's an ordinary vase or whatever the object was. It's like, no, there's nothing special about it. But then you don't want to say there's nothing special about it because you don't want to give anything away, but you also don't want them spending an hour obsessing. Rachel, that would never happen no. session one. <laughs> that would never happen session one and lead to an entire campaign surrounded <laughs> around a book. Brief, brief retelling of the story of how this went down. This was Tony and I. We were like our first time playing D&D. Ever. We built terrible characters. We were super ready. We're like, we're going to do great at this. We are yeah. ready for anything. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It was supposed to be a crazy guy who was just obsessed with this random book. They all assumed that the book was super powerful and needed to oh, be stolen. It was locked. And it was the only thing he's like, yeah, just don't don't touch the book. And we said, why shouldn't we touch it? And he said, just don't touch it. Hello. Obviously, this thing is important. and We must become obsessed Look, with it. I was new at DMing as I well. Know. Okay. No, Mistakes good. were made. It led to a whole adventure. But yeah, that definitely led to time we're like, aha, uh-huh. we, we get what's up. I think we there's, get like, what's up. there's some amount of like player intuition that comes in which can be like really dead on or completely off and as a player you don't know which it is but it feels right yep so (laughs) so you go in and you lean into it hard it's almost like the childlike fixation oh it's forbidden it must be something great right oh he said not to touch it if it was nothing then why would he care this is not literally should have just made it be like dear diary today i ate three toads and like the oh. most boring thing ever. That would have been no. It was mysterious. So depressing when you guys <laughs> finally unlocked it. It was seductive. <laughs> yep, we, we wanted it. We needed to have it. Yep. Uh, on the flip side, the one time Rachel messed up with her note taking. How many years did you spend dating an NPC thinking he was a half orc when he wasn't? Two years. <laughs> Real world time. Real world time. <laughs> so I think you would. You had just met a half orc, and then you met this NPC, and I described him as just like a. You know, sort of slight human man, kind of unassuming appearance, literally just the guy who served them drinks in a bar. That, of course, played out differently. Everyone who's listened to our podcast has heard the story of Grendo before, but it was the one time Rachel's notes, I think, ran together, and she was like, he's a half-orc. Nice. (laughs) 
for two years. And it finally came up where it's just like, he's a great chef for like a half work or something like that. And I'm like, what are you Yeah, doing? everybody else is like, what? He's a human. You're like, uh, <laughs> half work. You're like, I'm pretty sure what I'm talking about. Like, we've been like living together for a while now. <laughs> yeah, because my character is now dating him, probably going to get married to him if she isn't killed. <laughs> so that's the flip side. But I normally take really good notes. <laughs> oh, yeah, I know. That's why it's the one time. Since you have played a lot of different games, is there are there any methods or or ideas that you've pulled from other systems that you use, even though they're, they're not D&D specific? I actually don't think so. I put on here Dungeon World because I know that kind of focus more on like moves and a lot of other systems are kind of more freeform and driven by by actions and it's it's less uh you know specific ranges and things than D&D um because I know I, I've played um like Blades of the Dark I think is really great for just kind of like those sort of flashy narrative moments um on the flip side you lose some of that really like detail-oriented tactical strategy that some people like. But I think it, it definitely there are systems that I think have different approaches to, to doing kind of a theater of the mind or different ways of solving the struggles people face with it. So far, I haven't borrowed from any other system. When I played 3.0 and then later 3.5, we did start to modify some things and then take some things from Pathfinder once that came out. And that's when things got a little bit more complicated because of all the number crunching at that time. And some of the imbalances made things difficult. But I haven't felt the need that I had to do anything to 5e where I felt like, hey, this isn't right or this isn't fair. or Hey, you're not able to do what you really need to be able to do or what I feel like your class should be able to do. I haven't had to merge or change anything significant. So there's actually something interesting in the Dungeon Master's Guide on their whole section on adjudicating areas of effect, which I think is really funny to have the word adjudicating. But basically, they're talking about if you're not using miniatures or visual aids, how do you determine what's in an area of effect and what isn't? And the rules there say the easiest way to address such uncertainty is to go with your gut and make a call. And I think that pretty much applies to everything we've talked about. Every you know, rule. <laughs> everything. <laughs> I mean, at the end of the day, <laughs> sometimes you just got to go with your gut and make a call and then, you know, hope for the best. Even so, in, you know, the majority of the time, in my mind, I keep track of how far apart everyone is from each other. And so if they're like, hey, are there, is there a, gr- a cluster that I can cast fireball at but not hit my friends? I'll be like, oh yeah, that group to the right, they're all within 20 feet of each other and they're 30 feet away from your party members. I think it comes up with large spells, particularly with something like, okay, someone has cast like Sleet Storm, and it's just yeah. a massive amount of space. And someone's like, please keep in mind, I as a ranger am way back in the trees and nowhere near this battle <laughs> as I <laughs> as I shoot from the shadows. That's me, by the way. I'm that ranger who's like, please, I'm nowhere near that. <laughs> I don't want to be part of this. I would like to not get injured. So sometimes like that, I think it could be tricky if you're not using a map, but it also could be tricky when you are using a map because there's often all these little fussy things about using the squares versus the hexagons. Sometimes you're just like, ah, close enough. We'll, we'll round up or round down, you know, Yes, you're in. No, you're out. Ultimately, it's not that big of a deal where it we've run into a major problem with it at all. You should run a game for Chris. <laughs> <laughs> he's he's like, but I need to know specifically. And I'm like, we're going with it, Chris. It's happening or not happening. Yep. We're moving forward. Yeah. He's like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I think another thing to consider is, is, 
you know, the longer you play with your players and you all get to know each other, the the more of a well-oiled machine you become. You you know what to expect. You know how things work. It becomes easier at that point, too. Yeah, sometimes. <laughs> sometimes yeah. they're like, we haven't played in a month or two months or three months. What are these holding dice? Why do I have them? I know. I'm like, they're D12s. Do I eat the D4? Yeah, don't, wanna, don't mean, eat the D4. Please put down your D4s unless you have magic missile. You don't need those right now. Or I guess you're using a healing potion, but leave them alone. Something that hasn't been brought up, rolling. Mm-hmm. In Discord, most people in Roll20 insist on rolling using Roll20. However, there are bots you can use for Discord yep. that will roll for you. Yeah. So um, if you have players that are, they want to see everybody roll, so make sure no one's cheating, that is an option. However, with my players, I allowed them to op- the option to use either the bot or their own dice. Because I myself am very attached to my <laughs> dice and love to roll them. Mm-hmm. Also, just for the sake of non-transparency, I do not want my players to see some rolls. I yes. don't want them to be like wait, reacting on something and be like, wait, did I not perceive something? <laughs> so I will make some rolls very discreet sometimes just so that they don't react based on that. Oh, yeah. I think all DMs should yep. do that if they don't yeah yeah, yeah absolutely i i did make the mistake in one of my uh when i was running lost minds of Fandelver that i publicly rolled everything in roll 20 for all players to see <laughs> therefore they saw every single time i crit and Ooh. killed them and Ooh. tpk'd them Ooh. i couldn't pull punches in the <laughs> second combat no if the game. It is what it is. <laughs> yep. But when you're doing a short campaign like that, and I didn't want, like, we talked up front about not having, like, a death thing. Like, basically, if you were to, quote, unquote, die, like, the outright die rule, we didn't, we threw that out the window. And the decision was, if you were instead to die, you drop into a coma for 1d4 days, and then you wake up with some kind of permanent ailment or problem instead of dying. Because we were only playing through levels 5. Or through five levels. So it's like not quite long enough to get super attached to a character, but long enough to get attached that you don't want to have to also roll a new one for one level. Mm-hmm. See, yeah, I would just narratively bring them back for some reason, but I would let them die. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I would. I say this as a DM who hasn't actually perma-killed any characters in, in a campaign. Exactly. <laughs> but I would do it, Rachel. I've been waiting for Tony's character to die for years, Faye. Like, not that I want him dead. I adore him. He's a wonderful character. But his death is, like, something that I expected ages ago. I have built a character that fully intends to be in the dead center of a fight, face-to-face with the biggest, toughest, hardest-hitting thing there. And with the paladin with her hand on your back, keeping yes. your butt up. And that actually yeah. happened where, like, I was being beaten in by a stone golem. They're dealing with the caster, and it's just like, okay, he needs healing now. Okay, he needs Tag, healing get now. Back up. Tag, get back. It's up. like he's he's not quite unconscious yet. Let's let's keep him up. Oh my yeah, he temporarily dies. Rather, I've died twice well, as in re- character. Regularly, yeah. yeah, yeah. You've been revivified, but uh, no, no one has permanently been, as we call it dead dead because we're very good with our words <laughs> dead dead or or for real yeah. dead 
No, I've I love this character, but I, even after <laughs> building him, I told Bethany she was like he will very likely die during this campaign. Well, you pitched no. him as like a Klingon, where he like wants to die gloriously in battle. He's and a you're like, Goliath. He's also, yeah, and he's also like it's a good day to die. Uh, yeah, I thought about that it. That was the pitch, so I was like, okay, well, he'll be dead, so you know that'll be okay. I'll, I'll make sure you know there's arrangements so we can have glorious deaths, so he just keeps having glorious near deaths. No, no, uh, they've been deaths. <laughs> Yeah, just, it doesn't uh, count if it's less than a minute, Tony. Uh, it's just dead, not dead, dead. You know? But <laughs> yeah. it's it's also Rachel's fault, Faye, because she keeps doing a really good job at being a paladin. <laughs> I expect to be the healer. Also, her paladin is my character's best buddy. Yeah. I know. No, it's great. And I, I am glad, like, all the storytelling that has come out of that is just not at all what I expected. <laughs> 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 so rolling with the punches yep <laughs> yep so how do you think this would affect like an actual play podcasting just in general i mean that is podcasting while the players can have a map and that's actually something we've discussed at length where i either try to correct you or i sometimes dub over later if i realize i messed up it's happened like it's like oh we'll go here and i don't catch it i will go back and realize okay no one listening to this has any idea where here is so i just i like i remember what happened or i go and look back at the the recording we have of it and i go okay you moved like this so that we could do this and i double i kind of dove over and say okay so you're gonna run up to the hobgoblin that's to your like right between you and your rogue okay cool that way at least gives everybody and a visual of it in their minds well i say it's theater of the mind for our listeners it's not theater of the mind when we do it but i think we learned that it was bogging down our, our particular cast of cast of characters <laughs> in not having a map to visualize and then from there describe what they were doing. So Tony still has to help us out a little bit and give us nudges to better describe what we're doing. But we're improving. Oh, yeah. For what I do, as far as how it would translate to a podcast, I think it would just require no dubbing. Like you said, you had to go back and tell people, hey, this is you don't know where this is, but this is what was going on. Everyone's already on the same plane so to speak, of understanding, nobody's seeing anything. It's just, I don't know, it, I don't think there'd be any changes that I would have to make. It would just be the same. Well, and something that's kind of interesting is, you know, there's a lot of actual play podcasts in there and D&D and other tabletop role-playing games. The ones I go back to are the groups that, that do do a good job of describing what's happening so that I as a listener am part of it. Because I know there are some groups where I think the, the cast is talented and I enjoy their role-playing, but then I skip their combat because I have no idea what's going on. You can't visualize it. If you know anyone wants to attempt this themselves, take into account weather when you're creating your scene. Remember to, to, to try and add in as many of the five senses as you can. Keep in mind terrain. Uh, because it's not just two-dimensional. Your combat scenes are going to have, you know, different heights. Like if your players are going into an ambush and so they're on this path and say it's a forest or whatever, it doesn't have to be a forest. But, you know, there's a, a slope slowly going up on either side of this path that's perfect for an ambush. You have to take into account height as well or depth if they're shooting down at, at their adversaries being clear about where things are and just just remember to describe 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 and you're not going to get it right or perfect the first time and honestly you'll never have it there's no such thing as perfect <laughs> but just keep trying is the the main point you just keep trying it. yes i believe in you <laughs> so how did you get into uh tabletop role-playing games so 
Uh, I was very awkward and didn't have a lot of friends. And I met this transfer student when I was 12. So I pretty much got introduced to the new kids. And there was one in particular who uh, I became fast friends with, actually. We were best friends for a few years. Her brother played D&D. And she was sometimes allowed to play with them. And she invited me along. And I was hooked. Aww. <laughs> <Nice>. <laughs> You're like, so it was love at first sight for you in D&D. Oh, yeah. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> I I loved the ability to step outside of yourself and whatever's going on in your, your life at that moment. Be somebody else who's capable of doing things that you can only dream to do. And D&D gave you the forum to do that within reasonable limits to make it fair for everybody. And I started out in AD&D back in 91 <laughs> or yeah, so. The OG. <laughs> D&D. Yeah, the OG. Way, nice. way back. Yep. Mm. yep. So you said D&D, but have you played other systems? Yes. What is your favorite system to play then? I have played Shadowrun, Vampire the Masquerade, White Wolf, the old version of Shadowrun. I know that they have since done other versions of Vampire the Masquerade. I played the original, same with White Wolf. I have also played Atomic Highway. I stepped my toes into GURPS. There's another one and I can't remember what it was right now. (laughs) That's okay. That's a pretty impressive resume. Yep, yep, yep. (laughs) Pretty good smattering. And so all of them, what is your favorite? I'm really fond of second edition because it's what I started out with, but I'm really enjoying the changes with 5e. So I have to say for now, that's my favorite. Nice. We won't hold you to it forever. Don't worry. You're allowed to change your mind. Oh, yeah. yeah. Well, (laughs) people change and what you like changes. So for now, I'd have to stick with 5e because despite what flaws 5e does have, I am so grateful for it being easy enough for people to pick up and therefore it's repopulated the D&D pool because people aren't as scared to try it out. And then once they're in it, they're like, oh, hey, this isn't so bad. And then they're sticking with it. So it's like, yes, more people. Yeah, I I agree. (laughs) It's definitely way better for recruiting when you're like, oh, and then you you really just have this one die and you're only doing so much math, but it still has enough crunch that some of the the diehards can still enjoy it. Like, I know Chris still is like, I would like it if there's a little more crunch. It's like, well, Chris, Mm -hmm. it's okay. You still have some crunch. Don't worry. Like, (laughs) there's still math involved. Checks, 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 (laughs) checks. Roll so many dice. But I 100% agree, Faye. On the accessibility. So we talked about your favorite system, but do you have a particular memory of a moment that you're most proud of as a DM or a player? Or if you have one of each, we also also (laughs) allow that. Well, I cut my teeth DMing at 16 at a convention. Now I don't recommend it. For for many reasons. (laughs) But seriously, if anyone is ever considering DMing for a convention, get some experience under your belt first, because being green and young and going to a convention is, it's brutal. (laughs) So I had this one player who he was like in his 20s and he was... Not pleasant. Let's leave it at that. <laughs> okay. No. Th- thank you for censoring it. <laughs> Despite my insecurities, stood up to him. And when he got snarky, he was like, well, if they're just going to let anyone DM, then I'll DM <gasps> next year. And I'm like, yeah, 
go ahead and do that. We need more DMs, actually. And I was thinking, <laughs> then you won't be at my table. <laughs> so I was, I was proud that I stood up for myself then. But as far as like DM achievements, I had some players so emotionally invested in a recent story arc that they were shaking and in tears. Oh, with some specific events. And that kind of surprised me. They likened me to Matt Mercer. <gasps> now, when I was first likened to Matt Mercer, I didn't know who that was. <laughs> I was like, wait, who? They're like, oh, you know, Matt Mercer, you know, one of those voice actors that does, you know, critical roles. Like, wait, say what now? You're like, wait, voice actor, voice actors? <laughs> what's a what's a podcast? <laughs> How do I podcast? <laughs> you're like, you're like, what do please, I, Matt Mercer? <laughs> can you please define some of these words? Yep. <laughs> so now that I know who Matt Mercer is, I found that to be quite an honor. Like, I was really complimented. Like, I was like, I looked back and I'm like, wow, that that they thought that? Really? That's awesome. <laughs> Aw, shucks, guys. <laughs> I know, yeah. So those are just a couple moments that, that come to mind. I don't get a lot of times to play as a player, so I don't know about as a player. I, I was doing an accent for my illusionist, my first ever character. I played an illusionist back in second edition where it was better to be a mage. Mm. Oh, <laughs> but you're like, that's okay. She is or he is who he is. <laughs> I did it to be creative. <gasps> you were being creative at a tabletop role playing game? How crazy. What? Oh my goodness. <laughs> <laughs> who does Audacity. That? Seriously. How dare I? Mm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> thank you for joining well, us, Faye. Yeah. yeah, thank you so much for joining thank us. Thank you so much for having me. It was a, a real pleasure and a lot of fun. Oh, I'm glad you yeah. had me. Yeah. Hard de bra.